welcome to Chorus versus Chorus. Today, Ethan is saying welcome instead of Dane. Oh, have I been um, clipping your wings, little bird? Do you want to yes. have an opportunity to- Cheap, 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 say, cheap. Get, get your radio voice on. Radio voice. Hello, listeners. You're tuned in to 88.5 WQRDXYM. You know, what's funny is I grew up west of the Mississippi. So do you know what my uh, station is? You're K. It's all K's, right? All K, baby. K for Ken Varg. I grew up on the wrong side of the Mississippi, I guess. Uh, you really did. <laughs> Welcome to Chorus versus Chorus. I'm Dane. I'm Ethan. This is a quote-unquote competitive music podcast in which Ethan and I talk through different categories, searching for basically the best song ever made. One <laughs> <laughs> one song at a time. One, one category at a time. Today, the theme is meter or time signatures. The model of this show, specifically with this theme today, is we're working through five different time signatures. Our categories today are 3-4, 5-8, 7-8, and multiple time signatures. And for each of those categories, Ethan is going to put forward what he thinks is the best song and say 3-4, and then I put forward uh, what I think is the best song in 3-4, and so on, and then we'll have a winner. A couple episodes ago, we did a theme that was within my domain of expertise, and it made you feel like an idiot. Now, now it gets flipped. You're the professor today. How does it feel? Flip the script. Oh, it feels great. I'm putting on my beret, getting ready yeah. for this episode. Now, are you going to have more integrity than me and kind of be restrained in terms of making me feel bad? A hundred percent, I won't do that. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to make, you're going to call I'm me I'm a idiot. professor, okay? You're going to do... Do you have a PhD in being a douche? You have no. a pretty, you have a pretty huge degree, right? <laughs> I do have a massive degree. You still haven't seen Whiplash though so this won't make sense oh man yeah do you know the famous part when jk simmons yells at miles teller i mean isn't that the whole movie yes oh okay then which specific yelling <laughs> for the record i i hate this movie i think it's stupid but um <laughs> the famous part where he's like uh you're dragging you're dragging mm -hmm. it's not quite mm -hmm. my tempo mm -hmm. and then he like throws a crash symbol at his head <laughs> That's what you'll, you'll, uh, I'm going to throw crash symbols at your head through. Or, or to quote, uh, Theodore Retke, uh, in my papa's waltz, you beat time on my head with a palm mm. caked hard by dirt. Is that what you're That's, uh, that's pretty dark, bud. <laughs> well, you know, it's early in the morning for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kinder to you than that. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. So yeah, a bit on my musical background the the official party line on why i am completely ignorant about how music works the way that i can phrase it that makes me look good music to me is mystical and transcendent and i don't want to force it into the strictures of a, like a scientific or empirical understanding that's that's mm -hmm. the version of events that makes me sound good and smart but the reality is is throughout my life i've tried to pick up several different kinds of instruments and I'm just too lazy. I just don't have, I'm, I'm not diligent. That's what I am excited to talk about with time signatures because I think one, this is something that people misunderstand, even people who play a lot of music or mm -hmm. listen to a lot of music. It's something that seems very strange and kind of difficult to wrap your head around. And I hope this episode will provide some instruction to people as they listen yeah. to music. And they're like, what is that? That sound like, why does that sound weird? I don't get it. That's what um, I love a lot about songs with weird time signatures is it just you feel it and to have it explained to you it's like oh you know it's like lifting a curtain and then to your earlier point about feeling like there's mystery in music that the notion that somebody 
is less than a trained musician because they can't talk about time signatures eloquently is bullshit. That's mm -hmm. wrong. And I think that like, that's where musical elitism is at its worst. And I think that's why time signatures prove to be the like cream of the elitist crop. It's the thing that like, if you want to make a math rock band and make things quote complicated, you're yeah. going to play in 15. And it's like, actually, I'm going to show an example that's in 15 later. That is fucking rad. And it sounds awesome. And you can tap your foot to it. And it's not elitist. It's just for this artist, like a fun exercise. And yeah, it I'm going to talk later about Stuart Copeland, the great drummer of the police. And he had that attitude in general mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll talk about it more but i really do appreciate that i'm going to ask you a few questions about time signature um, go for it to kind of inform our listeners but something first that i want to say is that b before i begin asking you kind of general things about time signatures and just like a basic definition of it for people who may be completely lost the thing that is interesting to me about time signatures is that they're so precise and it's like as much as you can get into with like math <laughs> in terms mm -hmm. of music. The thing is, yeah, time signatures are so precise, but then it also seem, there seems to be a degree of, of subjectiveness to it where it's like, oh, well, yeah. you, can, you can say that it's this time signature, but the emphasis is here. So it depends on how you're counting it. Right? Yeah. So I'll talk about that because it's all fractions. There is this really interesting notion where three eight is the same as three four for all intents and yeah. purposes but then there is this interpretation and so interpretation is kind of where we throw this idea of like time signatures meaning yeah. something well because ultimately this is an art and you have artists interpreting yeah. math and right and like math is seen as this thing that is immovable and objective and empirical mm -hmm. but once you start having artists play around in that, then what do you get? You know, you have, mm -hmm. okay. My first question is what is time signature? That's a great question, Dane. I'm putting on my beret as we speak. <laughs> uh, so a time signature, also known as a meter, basically it is a way in to be specific Western musical notation. This is not something that exists in pretty much any Eastern or like Southern hemisphere world really mm -hmm. um so anyway it's a it's a notational convention notational meaning how i write music um to specify how many beats are in a measure so basically it's a way to quantify how music should be felt rhythmically mm -hmm. when i was doing research on kind of the history of time signatures i found something very interesting that we'll talk about with our first category but basically people played around with how to denote what the time signature was and how many beats should be in each measure and what a measure was. Like, what is yeah. a measure? And it's basically just a unit of time within a score, within a, a piece of music. Yeah. And back in and, the Middle East, is it And importantly, be, like you were saying, it's a unit of time, but it also what it ultimately translates to is how the listener feels it and reacts. Exactly. So exactly. if you have something weird in a prog rock song, if you don't have the theory to put words to it, you're still going like, this makes me feel weird and it isn't following the rhythms of my heart, basically, right? Right. The, the rhythm that we're accustomed to as well is important. Like this idea that, that measures can be divided in very distinctive parts it is very Western. Mm -hmm. That's not how music works in a lot of the world. And even the notion of what is, you know, 4-4, four, four, which mm -hmm. is sort of the most common time signature. And I guess that's kind of a good starting place um, for us to talk about time signatures. So 4-4 four, four 
is maybe something that you've heard if you're not familiar with like musical verbosity, <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with, you know, what we're talking about, time signatures and all this stuff. But four, four basically means there's four beats per measure. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You'll hear the phrase four on the floor. That means somebody is hitting the bass drum four times. So the bass drum is what's on the floor. That's what people use when they're playing drums. They hit it with their foot. So four on the floor is one, two, three, four. And that's like dance music, right? Yeah, like house is very much defined by four on the floor, yeah. having four. <laughs> that's like four on the floor, right? Yeah. So for for us, us, I'm, I'm speaking to Western musical audiences, that is a very typical time signature. That's something that we're all familiar with. And pretty much every single pop song that you hear on the radio is going to be in 4-4. Especially hip hop. Especially hip hop. That, again, is not true across the world. If you listen to Turkish music, Turkish music has a lot of things that are in what we would consider strange time signatures. They add beats. So things end up being in 5-4 or 7 or 9 or all of these kinds of different things. If you listen to a band like Tenarwin, um, so a lot of North African music, they actually drag beats. So mm. things end up feeling not perfectly metrical. They're not, you know, I can't have a metronome going yeah. and I can't follow the beat because they just kind of add a little spice to the end of it and it just drags things out. <laughs> So it's very interesting, and I just wanted to call that out because as we're talking today, I just want to make it clear that we're talking in a very Western context and that these notions of time and meter and time signatures are specific to a Western context. Um, something I want to point out, and of course, Prince <laughs> would be able to take his virtuosic knowledge of music and make like a joke about it while also being completely like rhythmic and funky as he makes, you know the song DMSR? I do. Yeah, yeah. Was... making fun of all the white people for not knowing where to emphasize the beat. Yep. Okay, my second question, why is meter important? Very good question. So meter is important, again, in terms of notation. So the whole reason that time signatures were invented, really, is because back in the Middle Ages, musical society, Western musical society, was trying to figure out a way to take these canonical songs and actually write them down so that they could be sung by anyone, anywhere, at any time. And so people started toying with notation, the idea that you can actually write down what a melody sounds like. And um, after that, um, you know, people started kind of putting little dots on paper and, and that would show the, the kind of shape of a melody. Was it going up? Was it going down? Was this note jumping? kind of in a sequence, and that would show the shape of the melody. But people didn't know how fast to sing it, where the emphasis should be on these different notes. Um, should I be singing da, 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 or should I be singing da, 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 da? And it was unclear. And so that's where we came to the idea of creating time signatures. And it's very important because it allows us, again, to understand 
how many beats are in a measure, a beat being a, a pulse and a measure being just kind of a, a set of pulses. The container, basically. Exactly. It's giving exactly. a shape to the container. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so this question, I think, should transition into the first category and the yep. uh, my first pick, which uh, I got wrong. <laughs> and so just like how you got metaphor wrong, you're going to win on a technicality. <laughs> um, but I think it's still worth, worth exploring. So our first category is 3-4. So I'm going to say what I perceive as being the stereotype of three four mm -hmm. and by extension six eight is an offshoot of three four but what it is is two three fours put together but with an emphasis on the first beat is that kind of right we're getting there we're okay getting there. <laughs> so for three four stereotypically is associated with waltz right correct yep <laughs> You hear like a lot of Eastern European music, Polish music, polka is very three, four, waltzes, classical music, very, very three, four. And this time signature, the waltz, is something you could dance to. Yes. And interestingly, when I was when I was researching kind of the, the origins of time signatures, when four four was invented, what what we consider now currently to be sort of like the, the metrical standard. standard yeah. Um, it was called imperfect time because huh. three four was tempus perfectum, perfect time. Interesting. So, so back again, this is it's really interesting. Different musical contexts have different ideas of what is normal rhythm, and so back in the Middle Ages, tempus perfectum was actually three four. Well, and that's funny because any notion you have that a certain time signature like four four follows something biological is not true. It's just like if you hear three four in all yep. music, then it becomes biological it becomes right. it feels exactly. like your heartbeat or whatever so the song i chose stupidly was a song by sam cook fool's paradise and i was going to say in a very pedantic way well you know it's not a three four category if i don't include some doo-wop <laughs> but apparently all doo-wop is typically in six eight is this correct yes that okay. is correct and so let's talk about what we're saying when we're saying four four three four six eight because this is kind of like the whole point of meter right this transitions before i talk about sam cook and my incorrect mm -hmm. choice <laughs> for three four this transitions to my final question like we were saying meter is the container that gives shape to the beats mm-hmm I understand that, right? We have these mm -hmm. these formulas that the music can fit into, but then how can you know if they're just adding a beat to 4-4 four, four or something like that? And why do we divide it differently? Why mm -hmm. is this Sam Cooke song I chose not in 3-4? It's certainly yeah. a multiple of three. The meter is a multiple of three. It's in six, but mm -hmm. why can I not just count it as 3-4? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question. So let's let's back up and just answer the most basic question. What the fuck are we talking about when we talk about all these numbers, right? Yeah. Every time signature looks like a fraction. So there's a number on top and there's a number on the bottom. The lower number indicates what we call the, the note value. So one beat is going to have this note value. And the note value essentially is what kind of length of the beat, I guess you could say, would be. So normally this is a multiple of two. So the bottom number is going to be a two, a four, an eight, a 16, something like that. 
quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes. They're basically just ways that we can nicely divide up a measure. Now the number on top is the number that's going to give us more of an indication of a rhythm because it indicates how many of those beats, how many of those note values are in a measure. How many occur measure. before the measure ends. Right, exactly. Dane is talking about containers, right? If a, if a measure is a container, the time signature is telling us on the bottom uh, how many slices in that container do, do we have, um, or rather the size of slice, and then the top number is telling us how many of those slices are going to fit in this container. So if we have a container that's 4-4, four, four, we've got that container sliced up into 4. We have right? a pie. We have a pie. Sliced yeah. into why 4. Am I, why are you slicing containers? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, so let's talk about 3-4 versus 6-8. Yes, which to be clear again, I chose this uh, Sam Cooke song as 3-4 when it is in fact 6-8. Yeah, so, let's so this is why waltz, is. waltz versus doo-wop. So now if you're thinking in math, right, you're thinking 3-4 is the same as 6-8. I know how to do that. I did that in the third grade. I get fractions. When we're talking about music, it's actually slightly different. And the reason that it's slightly different is that these different time signatures denote different stresses. And st stresses or emphases on different parts of the measure. So when you're thinking of a waltz, you think one, two, three, two, two, three. You're actually going to divide up that measure into three parts. So you would say one and two and three and. When we say the and, that's kind of just a, a little pause in there that we could put another note. You would not have that same division in six, eight. You would count it as one, two, three, four, five, six. Instead of having three stresses, one and two and three and, you now have two main stresses. One, two, three, four, four five, five six. six. So if you counted that same three stresses in the Sam Cooke song, you're going to end up with stresses on off beats. Uh, you're going to end up with stresses in weird places. Again, let's say we're counting in six, eight, you'd go, one, two, three, four, five, six. So the stress is on the one and four, the fourth time that we count. Yeah. Now let's say we wanted to take our three, four stresses and pop those in. Now we're going one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And, and that can, sounds totally weird. You can feel this intuitively too. If it's the six, eight, you're not moving your body to it like you would a waltz. Now to get actually practical with this, right? Like how does this sound? So if you listen to a doo-wop song, if you listen to Sam Cooke song, you're going to hear the kick drum the on the one, and you're going to hear the snare on the four. So if you're counting, it's going to go one, two, three, four, five, six. father told me to said my child It'll all catch up with you Drinking and gambling Staying out all night So you're hearing the bass drum on the one Living and the snare on the four. If this were in three, four, generally you'd hear one and two and three and. So you're going to get three stresses in there. Yeah. This is where the sound of doo-wop comes from. And this kind of like really chilled out vibe. Swaying, it's right? Swaying, right? You don't it, waltz it to feels... it, you sway to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Exactly. And it feels really different than something in 3-4. So the, 
the song that I was going to choose originally was in three, four, and then you chose a song in six, eight. So I was like, all right, I'm going to choose a song in six, eight. <laughs> oh no. So we changed the whole category to six, eight. No, no, no. Let's keep it at three, four, just to be fun. Okay. Originally, I That's chose- That's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. No, I was really excited because I think it's something, again, like it, time signatures don't matter, right? Like yeah. if you're listening to something and you're just a fan of music, you're not going to immediately be like, oh, this is in 12 and, you know, it's yeah. going to give me this feeling. Like, no, you just feel it a certain way. Yeah. So- I don't really care. I mean, I'm happy to just talk about it as a way to talk about the difference between three, four, and six, eight, and talk yeah, about time signatures. It's cool, and it allowed me to talk about a band that I have wanted to talk about since the very first day that we did this podcast, and a band that I think I, I'm I'm constantly blown away that they have like five thousand, ten thousand listeners on Spotify. The, the industry that. is a fickle mistress, you know. It's unbelievable. So the, this band is called WYD. They are from Columbus, Ohio. I know them because when I was in a band called Uralu, when I was living in Chicago, we Long had live a Uralu. chance. Long live Uralu. Uralu is dead. Long live Uralu. Um, tragic, but true. So we had the opportunity to play with them a couple of times. And this is one of the only shows I've ever seen in my entire life where I cried uh, wow. when I watched them. This band is amazing. It consists of uh, three folks. Uh, the first is Carly Fratiani, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. Carly, if I'm fucking up your name, I'm really sorry. WYD also includes Maddie Chiampa and Courtney Hall. So they have the raddest merch you've ever seen in your entire life. And they make incredible music. Um, music that is really heavy and really impactful. Um, they don't have a ton of music out, unfortunately, but all of it's that, that it is out is really good. Maddie is also, in addition to playing keys and doing backup vocals, is the producer for this band and has incredible production aesthetics. And this is a single that they put out a little while ago. It's called Death. To me, this song is exactly what 6-8, what doo-wop should sound like. Tender and beautiful, and there is these gorgeous swelling kind of keys that come in, and then there's this doo-wop horn section at the end. The vocal performance is nuts, and it's also one of the few songs that I think can get away with using the same lyrics over and over and over for the chorus. This band should be not just on your radar, but like in your ears right now. Ethan's using his powerful platform to- I mean, literally, I've, I've tried to tell so many people about this band, and if this is the way that I can tell like 10 more people about this band, I, I'm happy. Yeah, I came into this episode also wanting to give this category uh, to this song, because it's really good, and I like the- it crescendos too. Yeah. Um, not in very much owing to the production. It just really gets thick by the end. And I yeah. really liked it. Yeah, so I think, I think this category goes to WID, which is maybe, you know, sinful that we're stealing it from <laughs> Sam Cook, but I don't think yeah, Sam Cook you, needs... Sam Cook. You're, you're dead anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I don't think Sam Cook needs any more PR. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. And, you know, it was very gracious of you to shift the parameters of the category around mm -hmm. my stupidity. So I appreciate that.
It's it's not stupidity. We're all learning today. That's all, all it is. So we have officially exited, I would say, either 4-4 or 3-4, the things that people are most familiar with in their musical vocabulary and mm-hmm. could hear either 4-4 or 3-4 and just be like, yeah, like both of those things are normal. Mm-hmm. The next mm-hmm. four categories are things that even if you didn't have the vocabulary for it, you would hear it and be like, "This, there's something weird about this, right? Yeah, we're entering the spooky territory. So our next category, and this is interesting, some of these other time signatures you chose are like different from what I am familiar with as being like the other standard odd time signatures. Mm-hmm. So I'm familiar with 5-4, but what Ethan chose for this next category is 5-8. Yes. Again, so, it's now just a difference in uh, stress. It's a difference in, now we're getting into some new territory. Okay. So if you have a time signature where the number on the top is the same, so 5-8 versus 5-4, those actually are functionally identical. Okay. 6-8 and three, four, we found out are different, right? Because the stress falls in different places. Five, four, and five, eight are functionally identical. However, because the stress falls in the same place. However, that number on the bottom is indicating to us the kind of length of the beat in each measure. You can count things kind of however you want, but when you are writing out these time signatures, a musician who's reading it is going to go, ah, five, eight indicates to me that things are pretty fast, that we're not feeling any bar of four, four. We're not feeling a regular one, two, three, four, and maybe adding something on the end, which is what five, four might sound like. Um, But we're actually doing these distinct groupings of five. For example, the song that you chose, um, XTC. Yes. um, this is a song that, again, you could kind of write it either way. Some people might say this is in 5-8 because it sounds like we've got these faster pulses and we don't have a bar of 4-4 four, four with an, a, kind of an appendix on it, right? Some, some addition on it. So they are functionally identical 5-8 and 5-4, uh, but just, again, when you're reading them, you're interpreting them over Does it also depend on how the drummer chooses to emphasize it? Yeah, for sure. So um, again, if I'm if I'm playing in five four, I may have the ability to play it like a bar of four four. So I could go one two three four one one two three four one, and that's if we add those together, that's five four. Or I could go one two three four five one two three four five one two three four five, and keep the emphasis just on one. Which, as a transition, that second one you just did is my song. Right, exactly. And so that's so, why we're going to say this is in 5-8 rather yeah. than in 5-4. Yeah, so my choice is English Roundabout by XTC. And that the 5-8 shape that the drummer is giving to it makes it sound a little reggae-ish. Mm-hmm. Have you, did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Not sure. Not that reggae typically, I think, I think reggae is typically 4-4 four, four, mm-hmm. of what we would like normally hear it as, but there's just, there, there are certain, to get back to you saying meter, like ultimately doesn't matter, right? There are so many other aspects to music, right? Like the timbral quality of what he's playing mm-hmm. and the, the rim shots that he's doing mm-hmm. makes it sound reggae-ish and perhaps has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the meter. Yeah, um, it's like syncopation, right? Playing things on off beats, playing things in, in places maybe you don't expect them. Rim shots is like, that is reggae music in a nutshell is that sound of somebody hitting the rim of a snare drum rather than the actual you know head of the of the drum itself
So I think those things give you this feeling of reggae, even though, as you said, reggae is typically very much 4-4. Absolutely. So I'll talk a bit about my choice and then maybe you can add whatever other music theory uh, <laughs> observations you have about the tune. But XTC is one of my favorite bands. They are from the late 70s throughout the 80s, ended in the early 90s. Uh, they're a British band headed by Andy Partridge, uh, one of the principal songwriters, and also another uh, songwriter was Colin Moulding. You can't say they're one genre or the other. They began very firmly as a new wave band and wrote one of the great new wave songs, uh, Making Plans for Nigel. What they eventually morphed into were sort of a, they, they took a lot of influence from the Beatles and began to make sort of more like pastoral, psychedelic, folk-inflected, harmony-laden, very beautiful music. And I think if you look at, so do you know Making Plans for Nigel? Do you know that song? Oh, yeah. yeah. You turned me on to that. Oh, yeah, baby. It's super funky. It's justifiably mm -hmm. a hit. Mm -hmm. The lyrics... That might be it, right? Their lyrical content is never about pop music things. Mm -hmm. Making Plans for Nigel is about helicopter parents who have planned out every <laughs> aspect of their child's life yeah. ahead of time, um, which is just a really weird pop music topic. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Another thing with XTC I recommend, I mean, listen through their whole discography. It's a journey. It's a story, right? Mm. Just, they are straight up goofy, post-punk, new wave music at the beginning of their career. And they morph into this lush, gorgeous, Beatles-esque, kaleidoscopic pop. Mm. And uh, in the late 80s, they did a spinoff project called the Dukes of Stratosphere. And it was <laughs> straight up zombies, Sid Barrett era, Pink Floyd kind of psychedelia and it's a hoot and it's very uh what a name yeah it's great and it's very tongue-in-cheek this song in particular which is in 5-8 and like we were mm -hmm. saying has those kinds of funky reggae tones to them is english roundabout it's from their it comes at the near the end of their mammoth hour and 12 minute album english settlement which has perhaps their greatest achievement in one song which is senses working overtime uh which is kind of like a post-punk bohemian rhapsody i adore xtc mm -hmm. and i was very glad to see that this song was in 5a <laughs> so that i could include it <laughs> xtc is one of those bands that among many bands that dan has turned me on to that i just haven't gotten into enough but i what i really like about British bands of this era and like kind of new wave in general is just like it borrows really heavily from from reggae and that's why it sounds like that yeah um but it doesn't feel as bankrupt morally as <laughs> <Yeah>. other <laughs> borrowings from other musical cultures do irises yeah yeah so it just it feels like taking influences from that um, and kind of applying them in new aesthetic ways um, yeah. which is really fun and this band is cool they rule like them and also, we're going to get into uh, the problematic uh, reggae piracy with the police. <laughs> oh, yeah, majorly. Yeah. Just you um, wait. Just you wait, baby. Okay, so... Yeah, my choice is Nostalgia by Andrew Wong. Andrew Wong is a actually much more well-known for his YouTubery than his music, although they're, you know, one and the same, I suppose. 
Um, he is a producer, musician, instrumentalist, and ultimately YouTuber. He makes really fun, really goofy videos. He's done everything from like, you know, make a song using only samples from Ravens. So he just like went around <laughs> his city just like with a microphone, just, you know, taking sound samples of Ravens to like explaining in excruciating detail how to like patch cables, um, you know, for your like modular synthesizer. And he's just like a major music nerd. And I found out about him back in college um, when Age of Odds came out. And mm -hmm. I was like, man, I really love this song, Feudal Devices. I wonder if anybody has done a cover of this because this was the age of like YouTube covers becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. And I found Andrew Wong had done this cover of it. And it's check out the cover of Feudal Devices, the opening track from Age of Odds by Andrew Wong. It's gorgeous yeah. and really cool. And then another video that he did, I kind of went into this little rabbit hole. He did this song called Nostalgia. And... Full disclosure, this is not in 5.8. This song okay. is in 15, 16. I don't, I'm not going to get into it. We've already fucking talked well, about this you know, so that's, a, that's a multiple of 5 and 8. Those are multiples. They're multiples. So it's, it's in 15. Actually, you could count it as 15.8. doesn't really matter. Um, but it is uh, a multiple of 5, so we're going with that. And this song for him was like his musical nerdy exercise. I wonder if I can do a rap song in yeah. 15. Mm -hmm. And rap, as Dane said at the top of this, is something that is very typically in four. Because sometimes in takes, six eight. Sometimes, sometimes in six, six eight. But it takes from the tradition of basically metrical poetry, right? Which we talked mm -hmm. about really recently in an episode about using meter, right? Da 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 da. If we're you know, talking about Shakespeare and iambic pentameter. So anyway, it's really uncommon to find rap songs that are in odd time signatures, things that aren't, you know, uh, a multiple of three or four. I'm in the basement, I'm doing backflips, I'm in a park Jurassic. Growing up in the 90s, find me as an alternative kid, my clothes shiny, hair disheveled. I reveled in the infinite sadness, teen rebel. Ain't filling up the face to the treble, a few green leaves in the kettle. Wasn't till my 20s that I really settled. A bit of me always jittery, epitome of the awkward songs to mind a monster recalling my This song, I think, is is a cool example of that but also is the way in which when you are perceiving music you don't you know something is weird yeah but you don't know what it is and this song is like exactly that it's just like this person is toying with your brain doing yeah. something slightly off slightly weird but it's also the freaking raddest synth line I love, I love, I love the synth tone on this song. And Andrew Wong is just like really goofy and really fun and loves to experiment. So yeah, this is, uh, that's this song, Nostalgia. Yeah, and we would be remiss if we didn't shout out Sufjan, who consistently does interesting time signatures. For sure. All we, while we, making we, it we, sound very fun. You know? Yeah, we talked about Sufjan in the last episode, so I didn't want to choose any of his songs, but his entire discography is full of really interesting time signatures, changing time signatures, really switching things up. And again, if you're just lis listening to it, you may not understand technically what's happening in the song, but it's one of those songs that gives you a feeling of like something is shifting, something is changing. And I think that's why metrical shifts and time signatures are really fun things to play with because it gives the listener something else, something really different that we do not hear typically. Yeah. And it's one of those elements that you can throw in that is the foundation of your music. And it's something that people really commonly don't hear that kind of shift. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to give it to my song. <laughs> 
Why not? Because <laughs> first of all, it's XTC. Second, I really appreciate the experiment of this Andrew Wong song. Mm-hmm. It was maybe the rapping was maybe a little too dorky for me. Although now that <laughs> I know, yeah, now that I know that it was more of a a thought exercise, mm-hmm. I appreciate it more. But I gotta I gotta give it to my boys uh, Andy Partridge and and Co. That's fine. I'll give you that point. Yeah, very well, very well earned. All right, our next category is seven eight. Oh yeah, you'll hear both of these examples using the time signature seven eight for very different things but it feels like you can settle into it. If at first you're not really understanding what's going on, you can actually kind of come to grips with it. And it's because it's sort of like a baby brother, baby sibling of 4-4. You're Mm -hmm. just kind of taking one beat out. Yeah. Um, So if we're counting, uh, again, normally we're going to count one, two, three, four. If we're talking about something in seven, you're going to count actually all of those. You're gonna go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It feels like four, but with something slightly wrong, but enough for it to feel funky. Well, it's interesting, my choice is funky. In the case of your choice, it's something is wrong. Something yeah, feels disconcerting. Really yeah. Yep. I guess I can talk about my choice, yeah. which talk is- Talk about your Radiohead. For those of you who don't know who Radiohead is, no. <laughs> Yeah, let's really dig into Radiohead. Um, I feel like every single episode we could have chosen a Radiohead song for one of our categories because A, they have a ton of music, but B, they also tend to just do really interesting things and not for no reason. And I think this is a really good song that exemplifies that. This is a band that loves to play around with interesting harmonies, interesting melodies, very often interesting metrical changes and time signatures. Mm -hmm. This song, two plus two equals five, the first song off of Hail to the Thief, which came out in 2001? 2004, it was their big middle finger to Bush. Yeah. Especially this Um, song. So this song and the whole album in general, um, I just looked up uh, a quote from Tom York that says he was influenced by the quote, general sense of ignorance and intolerance and panic and stupidity following the 2000 election of Bush. Yeah, Thank God that's passed. Yeah, good thing that's behind us. Um, And so to start off an album, that's all about hailing to the thief, hailing to this completely inept warmonger we are going to start the album with something that makes you feel like something is wrong and it's not just the really kind of claustrophobic nature of the soundscape that they're putting together it's not just the really like gritty quality of the vocal but literally we're taking a beat out we're we're taking something away from you that you know should be there and you expect it but something is wrong and the lyrics for this song are all about that wrongness such a dreamer to put the world to rise. I stay home forever, but tune to always makes a fight. Right. Do you know what two plus two equals five is a reference to? I don't. Inform me. Uh, I am teaching the book right now. It's a reference to George Orwell's 1984. Ah. Uh, the quote, which I'll get wrong, is basically, you know, freedom and like resistance to an authoritarian government is the ability to say two plus two equals four, even when 
they tell you two plus two is five. And very crucially, later in the book, spoiler alert, he is <laughs> for those of you who were never in the tenth grade in high school, uh, the protagonist who is spending the whole book resisting the English Socialist Party's authoritarian uh, control over even the most minute thoughts of the citizens. He is tortured to the point where he ideologically accepts that two plus two is five because they told him. So that's that's what they're dealing with. Um, a lot of other Orwell references on the album. So I want, I want to back up and talk a little bit more about like today's theme. And one of the things that I find very frustrating and gets back to this idea of like musical elitism, all but one of the artists that we've chosen, we've got 10 songs, one artist, two artists rather, are people of color and only one group features any women. And I think that this is not an indication that music with interesting time signatures can't be made by those people, but that it has been commodified. It has had fences erected around it. It's completely shoved away anyone who can't hang with the cool musical nerds. And to me, these two songs are an indication that it is about giving somebody a feeling. And this is yeah. not a tool of, I'm better than you at music, I understand music more. It's what feeling do I want to give? I remember in college, I took um, uh, an electronic music class um, and the professor told us every choice that you make has to have intention behind it. Mm -hmm. And very often, unfortunately, the choice to use an odd time signature, something that's different than four, four, or three, four, or six, eight, that choice is made not with the intent of I want to make you feel something, but with the intent of I want to do something cool, something that people can't understand, something that's weird and hard and difficult to latch and onto. Neither, and neither of us chose any prog rock. You know, which yeah, and I prog and rock that's, better, you know, that's, better than others, but but that's the thing is you can choose a prog rock song that's in fifteen sixteen, and what is it doing most of the time? It's generally just a masturbatory exercise to say I can write a song in fifteen sixteen, yeah. and there's no intent behind it, and I think that's bullshit. And I hope that these two examples serve to show that you can actually give somebody a really interesting feeling by using different time signatures and kind of hopefully take down some of these fence posts that have been put up by countless, frankly, like white guys playing funky time signatures. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that because it's like, first of all, when you chose this song, I was like, ugh, this fucking song. And then I listened to it again. I was like, it's Radiohead. It's the best. This is the best. Yeah. This rules. This is so good. Yeah. It's always good. It will forever be good. I was going to say, this, you know, maybe not for this, not for Gen Z anymore or whatever, but like, you know, for our generation, this has got to be the most, in its complexity, the most patient and generous music for 13-year-olds, right? Because as a 13-year-old, I listened to this song and just like, it just sounded good to me and it sounded mm -hmm. creepy. It, it's just funny. Radiohead makes pop music and sneaks in really intelligent musical ideas to it. And they've been... Mm -hmm. They've had too much ink spilled about them for that exact reason, but there's something really, and I think you talked about this uh, a while ago about like Stevie Wonder, right? There's something really special about being a great populist communicator of incredibly complex ideas. No reason that a weird time signature shouldn't be approachable. Yeah. It's entirely about how you employ it. And I think, again, that this is, that, that's what this exemplifies to me. And that's what Radiohead, I think, is really good at. And like you said, Stevie Wonder, there's countless musicians that we can go into. But it, it's this, this whole episode is not a way for us to go like, oh, we're so smart. And I'm, I know what 9-8 means. And I can talk about, you know, metrical shifts. And it's like, no, this is just like a cool, interesting tool that maybe you haven't thought of or heard of. Very much. I also want to add that what 
makes this song, you know, why that seven, eight at the beginning, which why it works so well viscerally, it begins with, okay, something is wrong, Mm -hmm. right? That's the feeling it gives you. And then when the song explodes and it's by that point in Radiohead's career, it was maybe a little cliche for them to start soft and then explode, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, one of their great explosions for for the reason being they then transition into four, four when the part's really intense. makes the explosion more cathartic. Yeah. It's so much more effective than if the weird Aphex twinny click track part and you know was in 4-4 and then it just burst, it would be like, okay, this got louder, but it didn't mm-hmm. just get louder, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not just a dynamic shift. It's a uh, going from something feels wrong and unnatural to a true catharsis, because then it goes yeah. back to what you might feel is biologically correct. You know? Yeah. 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 What feels what feels like home. Yeah. Yeah, it takes you home, even though he then begins screaming at you about how you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> All right, my choice is One More Night by Can. And I think I think this is an appropriate pairing with mm-hmm. what we were saying. Can is a krautrock band from the 70s. So krautrock was this uh, genre, which, you know, again, with any genre, it's usually just invented by critics, right? Mm-hmm. And then the musicians are like, what? Yep. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say Kraftwerk was... Krautrock in a way. The three most sort of like I'd say prominent actual Krautrock bands, if you're being specific, are Can, Noi, and Faust. What I think is most interesting about Krautrock is the new generation of kids in Germany after World War II who wanted Mm. to make future forward, optimistic music that broke from the really dark past of their parents right they Mm -hmm. wanted to look forward you know these are kids in their 20s or 30s by the 70s -hmm. Uh, so you know born exactly after world war ii and but so it's interesting krautrock if you were being stereotypical about it 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 has what is called the motoric beat can you put words to it for me well it's like a motor right like that's i i imagine where where they're getting that from It's maybe proto four on the floor, right? Yeah. It's this idea of like hyper regularity. And I think a lot of that comes from what eventually became Kraftwerk's thing, which is like using synthesis yes. to make metrically perfect beats, things that follow a metronome. You could say Krautrock because of that motor like uh, beat, it's dance music that you can't dance to. Really any song, any modern song where you have just like, the same beat and then you're doing these really noisy variations over the mm-hmm. top of it owes a lot to Krautrock. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Can is doing in this song. They're making a seven eight slice of funk. You can groove to this thing. Yeah. yeah. 
listening to this, it's just like the perfect music to chill out on your porch to. And I think, again, to get to get back to the idea that we were talking about of like this metrical choice doing something is doing totally the opposite of yes. what Radiohead is doing. If this song were in 4-4, you would be bored. Yeah. It would be a boring song, if, yeah. if I'm being honest. There's not a ton going on, like musically. It's, it's, it's very what, German and austere. Yeah, it's very austere. It's got some weird whispery parts in the in, in there, you know, but it's like there's not a whole lot going on. But the, the fact that it's in seven is kind of propelling it forward almost perhaps in the same way that a motoric beat would in that you are constantly tuning into the fact that there's a beat missing. It's yeah. something that keeps you engaged and keeps your mind on an aspect of the music that maybe normally you wouldn't have it on. It, seven when it's slowed down to me is a very relaxed meter. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, I think it lends itself well to this kind of music. It's kind of like chilled out, almost psychedelic vibe. Especially with Can, I think maybe Noi and uh, Faust, the other two prominent rock bands are a bit more cerebral, but Can is the perfect example of a band that you would read about and you'd be like, this, is, this sounds like a math equation. And then you hear it and it's just like, this is chill or this is funky or like mm -hmm. this has some swagger to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, and it's, uh, it goes to show that it's not about being cool and hip and using this very obtuse time signature. It's just, what's the feeling it gives you? And if yeah. it doesn't give you the feeling you want, then why the fuck are you using it? Yeah. Move on, baby. All right. So it sounds like you weren't 100% into the Can song. No, I was. I oh, liked it a lot. It's a, That's another band that I just need to devote more time to because they have a lot of wacky stuff. I'll give it to, uh, you know, Radiohead. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Should, uh, well, I'll give it to Radiohead because I'm, uh, I got some stuff to say about our next category. Ooh, okay. okay. Well, let's say it. We're now moving on to our final uh, numerical choice, I guess. We do have one more category after this, but now we're going to be talking about songs in nine. Yes. So songs in nine. I, I chose another one earlier, a Cat Stevens song, which is in nine. No like, way. Like, I think a shaker hymn that is originally huh. nine. But it wasn't as clear to me that it was a nine. Yeah. I also thought we can't have an episode about weird time signatures without a nod to Dave Brubeck. Yeah. Like, would it be a stretch to say that time out is the most famous odd time signature? I don't think so. Unless, I mean, maybe generally, generationally 15 step. Uh, maybe yeah. Radioheads in Rainbows would would probably usurp that, but I think like if you just asked a random sampling of the population, probably Dave Brubeck is up there. Yeah. Well, so I I know nothing about jazz, so I'll just say really quickly, like you know, Dave Brubeck was around in the '40s and '50s, I suppose. Mm -hmm. His most famous piece of music is Time Out. If you don't know that song, you do. I assure you, you do. <laughs> it's in five four, and it is just. It, it's famous and it very much articulates that it's in 5-4, right? It's not hidden. Mm -hmm. This song, uh, based on a lot of what I was reading, Blue Rondo a la Turk uh, is also pretty famously in 9, mm -hmm. and you can feel it. Yep. don't know anything about jazz so that's all i'm gonna say i just dig it it just it sounds cool it sounds wrong i think it i think it pulls off the the funky little time signature so 
I'll say I'm also, frankly, pretty ignorant about jazz, but I do think that Dave Brubeck was... So if we think about jazz history, jazz comes from a tradition of, of blues music, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of an offshoot of, of blues and 12-bar blues, and the blues almost entirely in four, yeah. right? Very metrically Western, simple. It's more about the feeling of it. The instrumentation was pretty straightforward. It came and, out of that, right? And it's about taking a limited set of traditional chord progressions and then building your own color Right, your own kind of tone on top of it, doing your own take on uh, it, it's very much like a folk tradition in that sense, right? You take mm-hmm. templates that other people use and you and you're like, this is how I deal with that constraint, right? Exactly. And so what Dave Brubeck was doing when he sort of became this um, jazz phenom was rather than using improvisation or coming up with interesting harmonic shifts or uh, coming up with your own kind of jazz songs that, uh, again, traditionally are, as Dane said, these templates of chords that then people improvise over. He thought, all right, instead of that, we're going to add this new element of metrical shifts and and different time signatures into it. And this song in particular is very much like kind of makes you think of like Charlie Parker, like bebop, very fast, Mm. very attack minded almost. And I think nine suits it very well because it is ferocious, right? It's aggressive. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting. I think that's a great word for it is it feels like something new and it feels like something different. And Brubeck, I think really leverages this song as, as much as he can for that excitement by employing this, this technique. So sure. Yeah, there's not a, there's not a lot more to say about about this song. Um, when did it come out? I want to... 59. 59. Yeah. Yeah, and if you think about that, right, we're talking about like Sinatra era. It, it's just so wildly different than what's on the radio, what's being absolutely in people's homes. Yeah. It's so aggressive. It's so out there and left field. And um, I think that's why this song and just Brubeck in general has been such a giant of jazz. So I chose Kissing the Beehive by I'm, Wolf Parade. I'm surprised. I did not know that you liked Wolf Parade. Um, I don't. Okay. I'm going to back up here a little bit. I, I don't. And I'm going to just end, end the episode there. I don't. I was invited to go see Wolf Parade in college um, by some folks and had never listened to Wolf Parade. Um, I saw that. I've seen them live too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually listened to this album what album is this on? Oh my gosh. At, at Mount Zoomer. Yes. Um, so listen to this album before I went and saw them. Um, so At Mount Zoomer came out in 2008. And I was really into this album and I was excited to go to this concert. And um, the opening band was really exciting. I was really psyched up. A band called Ogre You Asshole from Japan, which is <laughs> yeah. maybe a band for, for a different time. Um, and then it proceeded to be one of the most disappointing concerts I've ever seen. Yeah. I felt like listening to them live was sort of like when you see an ad on TV or like you watch a video, I do this a lot now in quarantine, 
where I watch a video of somebody like making a grilled cheese or like <laughs> making a particular dish. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to make that. And I go and I make it and then I eat it. And I'm like, that's not at all as good as what I saw. And that's exactly how I felt going to this show. <laughs> it was the only memorable really thing at my Wolf Parade show was a guy got up on stage and was dancing like an idiot. And the keyboardist, like in time, it, it was like a high wire act. It was very impressive. He stopped playing his instrument, walked up, violently shoved the man off the stage and like head first into the crowd and then walked back and then picked back up his part in time. That's great. That was great. Yeah. So I, besides not enjoying them as a live band, I really did enjoy this album. And when I was looking for songs that were in nine, which is not nearly as common as songs in five or in seven, surprisingly, mm -hmm. I found this song and I really like this song a lot. I think it employs nine completely differently. Again, to go back to our, our talk about seven, eight and the difference between Radiohead and Can employing seven, this song employs nine as an additional beat. Yeah. It's almost like you're just adding another little chunk to the end of a measure. Yeah. And it kind of makes the song feel, the song's already long as fuck, but it makes it feel even more dragged out and sort yeah. of slowed down and almost like you're hitting the slow-mo button. To me, it makes the song much more enjoyable yeah. because again, just like the can song, if this were in, in four, I would probably be bored two minutes in. And yeah. because it's in nine, you're constantly given something that's a little bit uncomfortable for you, a little bit new for you and for your ear and for your brain is sort of this constant exercise that you have to do. It's interesting. I did not know you like Wolf Parade and I have literally not thought about Wolf Parade since 2008. And that's the same amount of time that it took me to think about to, them again. To listen to this song. It, yeah. it, Wolf Parade's funny. It's like every generation has this. There are these, these mushroomings of different kind of hip bands. And like during the two, late 2000s indie rock boom, mm -hmm. Wolf Parade, to my mind, is just in this cadre of other completely forgotten, fine, kind of generic, mm -hmm. some enjoyable songs, indie rock bands, like Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah. Or right. Voxtrot or Tapes and Tapes or Someone Still Loves You, <laughs> Boris Yeltsin. You know, like all these At least Clap I, Your Hands Say Yeah had put together like a really good album. That album's really good. Yeah. It's maybe not something that I would ever go back to. <laughs> a lot of these bands are just meant to sort of be forgotten in favor of like Animal Collective. And it's funny, like you have these genres that are really popular, these like boutique subcultural genres that are popular during the time and then you just have like it's like a uh, a marine unit during the war and you only have a few survivors who come out to tell the tale right, right. like we remember like animal collective from this era mm -hmm. and they're kind of like cemented as the you know paragon of that sort mm -hmm. of bland late 2000s but i think it, it goes to show that animal collective right is the weirdest of the bunch yeah they did shit that nobody else was doing they were technicolor and yeah. the only song that I picked from Wolf Parade that I will probably ever pick for this podcast is yeah. one that's in 9-8 because it's doing something different. Like, yeah, how many out. fucking songs sound like this that came out of that late 2000s boom?
In any case, this Wolf Parade song's a nine. It's pretty rad. Um, and the rest of their album for me, forgotten. Not so bueno. Uh, <laughs> let's give it to old Broobs. Broobs himself. Yeah, you can't, you can't pass up Dave Brubeck. So it's 2-2. Two, two. This really is, uh, this is a nail biter because my choice is unorthodox. I did not analyze this myself. This is just from some forum. So this could be bullshit. Yeah, I, let's talk about it. I, I want to hear about your, your song. You chose The Police. Yeah, so our final category is multiple time signatures. So shifts, right? Yep. And we've seen that before now. Like Radiohead did a shift from seven to four. And this is not uncommon. Very often songs will have metrical shifts, right? Mm -hmm. You'll hear a song go from three to four, or you'll hear a song throw in an extra bar um, or an extra beat. That is actually quite common. The Beatles do it. Blondie does it. Like you can find this across lots of different genres. If you're ever like, huh, that's weird. I didn't notice that before. So those are kind of examples of metrical shifts or kind of interesting metrical changes. And of course, prog rock. I think the most typical aspect of a lot of prog rock is multiple time signature shifts. And so my original choice is going to be a prog song, uh, Roundabout by Yes. I really Mm. like Yes quite a bit, but I thought Roundabout would maybe be a bit too overplayed. You know, Roundabout is in 4-4, 14-4, Do you like Yes? I've never really listened to them at all, to be completely honest. Just put on Fragile. Put on the album Fragile. It's a delight. I'm doing it. But instead, I chose the police. Now, speaking of uh, white cultural pirates taking uh, reggae, I mean, their first album was literally French for white reggae. (laughs) The police, probably the most commercially successful band to take the elements of prog rock and translate it into popular music. All three of them, phenomenal musicians. Stuart Copeland, their drummer, one Mm -hmm. of the most celebrated drummers of the classic rock era. Yeah, it's really shocking given how popular the police were, massively stadium-packing popular the police were, and given Sting's post-police, adult, contemporary, middle-of-the-road, soft rock reputation, and also his reputation for being a corny nerd who says that he once had, like, 36-hour-long sex with his wife and, you know, tantric sex with his wife and stuff. What a strange character. Such a strange character, which, if you have that image of Sting in your head, you're not like, yeah, he's also the guy who was in like a virtuosic band that incorporated like African polyrhythms and reggae and mm-hmm. such and such into their music. But I wanted to be clever with this song. This is my favorite police song, probably. I think it's hmm. super demented. Would you agree? It does okay. sound pretty crazy. And I think that's one of the things that makes it sound crazy is the time signature. Depending on what you read, and I have not been able to count it out properly. To me, when I... So here's the reason, first of all, that I chose multiple. The keyboard is one time signature and the drums are a different time signature. So that was me being a little Ah, clever. I see. So let me explain. Depending on what you read. Now, I have counted the keyboard and I'm probably wrong as being in six. Other people have put it at five. Other people have put it at seven. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But we'll get to that in a second. I want your take on what the keyboard is but the drums are definitely in 4-4. Stuart Copeland has said that he played 4-4 on that and that it writes itself every five bars when they both come back to the one. That's what he claims. And the reason he did this is that he thinks just like you were saying playing a weird time signature just for the sake of it if it's not motivated Mm -hmm. it's stupid Mm -hmm. and not worth your time. He wants you to be able to rock to it. 
this song is so good because something sounds wrong mm -hmm. something is up but the beat is really propulsive it rocks it, it's really driving he says simply adding a fifth beat to four four does not fly for him life is just a bowl of cherries becomes five four with life is just a friggin bowl of cherries <laughs> um so i really like that idea um mm. I think it's really cool. Uh, there's a Yola Tango song that I've always really liked where the guitar is playing in a weird meter and then the drums come in and like change the accent on it. And I think that's a really cool thing for songs to do. But I could be wrong. The keyboard could just be in 4-4. I don't know. I was not listening to that when I was listening to the song. The whole time I thought it just sounded like it was in 6. It uh, sounds like 6 to me too. I can, there's no version of it where I can count that it's in five. Can you play, yeah. can you listen to it right now? And, okay, let's, and, let's, take, let's take a moment and listen. I got nothing. I got nothing. Sounds, it sounds, sounds like the great. entire. So I will say the drums could be in four. The thing about six is that it's a multiple of two, as is four, and so yeah, it just kind of sounds like you're adding. It it could be in six. It could be in four because yeah, I don't. I definitely don't buy that the keyboard's in five. I can't. No, I can't. I don't hear that at all. I don't hear that even a little bit. But you so, know, we're fucking maybe, stupid. I don't know. I'm not. The, I'm yeah, not the police. Know. I'm not Stuart Copeland. And like, you know, maybe this person's misremembering, but you know, Stuart Copeland claims that the drums are normal and then they they match back up with the keyboards uh, every five bars, but that's above my pay grade. And I probably got this, uh, this category wrong, but I do like this song quite a bit. And I'm happy to share it. Yeah, and I think it also gets to the idea of something that, that we haven't talked about today, but is using polyrhythms you mentioned that a few times so polyrhythms are basically you're having one part play in a certain time signature let's say it's in three and then you have another part playing in four and so that four is looping every four beats and the three is looping every three beats and so you end up with these sounds that kind of overlap in really interesting ways um, yeah. so that's another way that playing with time signatures can make something that's fairly simple sound very very complex because now the emphasis of that part in three or that part in four is falling at different places relative to the other part that's playing. So yeah. that's what this song is all about. Apparently it's in five somehow, which neither of us could hear. I just wanted to give a platform to those fine young gentlemen, the police. I really think they need a bit more exposure and they do. Renowned. Sting, Sting needs a fourth <laughs> sauna in his mansion. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your choice now. Spoonman, the only good Soundgarden song. <laughs> I disagree. Black Hole Sun is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had the uh, CD of Super Unknown. They're, you know, I don't know. I, sh I should re-listen to it. Maybe I would enjoy it. Well, let me tell you, a high school Ethan was a huge Soundgarden fan and also Velvet Revolver fan. <laughs> Shameless. Shameless. I liked Velvet Revolver too. My choice was Spoonman from Soundgarden. The, I guess, like post-grunge or no, maybe... The, uh, Perry grunge. They were, yeah, they were in the yeah. grunge. But very much like a early 90s, mid-90s kind of... I guess we'd call them hard rock now. Group. No, they were grunge, man. They were... They were 
I would say the big three grunge bands were Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. It's interesting. I think of grunge as something that's like, to me, Soundgarden sounds a lot more like Rage Against the Machine, predecessors to Rage, more than they well, sound you just like say that because of Nirvana. Uh, Chris Cornell fronted Audio Slave, which was made up of all the instrumental section of Rage. But if you look, if you listen to the tone of the instruments, mm-hmm. it sounds much more like Rage. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm getting off track. Anyway, uh, ultimately, um, genres are fabricated. Are right? Yes, it's, it's just a bunch of musicians in Seattle in the late '80s, and then suddenly, suddenly you got one. Grunge, one of them has the most popular album of the past thirty years, and then they need, you know. They need a lot of alt alt rock, you know. <laughs> it's why Ween ends up on MTV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. Yeah, so I chose Spoonman by Soundgarden. I think it's very interesting that a song that is this strange musically can end up becoming so popular. This yeah. song I was looking on Spotify has 85 million listens. That's crazy. This is off of the album Super Unknown. It's a great example of how you can use a time signature to just have fun. It seems like a total exercise in goofiness, but it it's is a so goofy effective. song. It is a song with a sense of humor. It really belies their reputation and grunge's reputation is just being like dour. Yeah, I think sometimes you can employ things just for fun, right? Like ta- you just mentioned Ween, Soundgarden putting a chunk of this song in seven is really, really goofy. It's also a song that growing up, I, for whatever reason, maybe this is just like radio stations in the Boston area, but like this song was at all times, I believe, uh, for the past 15 to 20 years, this song has been played on a radio station somewhere in the greater Boston area you know because I could never change the radio station and not hear this song or Black Hole Sun. You know what's interesting is that just 10 years later after Grunge, Clear Channel just decided that you could play Nirvana and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam on classic rock radio along with right. alt rock. They just decided that they were like, this is fine. Just go <laughs> give it is- a decade. Yeah, it's been a decade. We can. Th- this gets to be alongside Zep, you know. I don't, it, yeah, weird. Um, also, I think this song, um, well, rather this band, Soundgarden, um, fronted by Chris Cornell, um, who very tragically passed away R- recently. R.I.P. Yeah. Chris Cornell, I really genuinely think has one of the best voices in rock. And I, I know a lot of people feel like Soundgarden and Audio Slave is just like trash. You know, maybe getting back to my John Mayer comments from a previous episode, like somebody can be really talented and make bad music. But I really don't think that Chris Cornell gets enough appreciation for what he did and some of the songs that he crafted. Um, and the power of his voice is just, and he says it in Black Hole Song, nobody sings like him. Nobody has that voice. And anytime I listen to Soundgarden or Audio Slave, it's just for his voice, maybe, if nothing else. It's a else. powerful voice. R.I.P. Chris. Yeah.
Well, my I think mine loses on a technicality. I mean, maybe. One of our listeners might be able to explain it. I'm going to give you the win for this episode because I love you. <sighs> um, so one last thing. I think, I think we'd both like to debut a new feature, which is the song of the episode. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. do it. And I will post in the description what the song of the episode is. The song of the episode today... That's a drum roll. ...is... Death by W.I.D. Hey, Check it out. you 100% should. So before we end, maybe uh, what takeaway? I think, I think you've emphasized it uh, pretty uh, eloquently throughout the episode, but what do you want listeners to take away from this idea about time signature? For me, it's just another tool in your tool belt as a musician and hopefully as a listener, because I think that um, playing with time and meter and really toying with people's expectations can be very, very powerful and can create some really interesting sounds that I don't know that any other musical device can. Uh, I think yeah. I think rhythm is something that is so essential, right? We can hear a, a steady beat and just the beat and think of that as music. And so if yeah. you're playing with that, such a fundamental thing and it can still be music and it can still be musical, let's do that more. It's fun. It's cool. Yeah, if, if, it's, if you're not having fun as a creator or a listener, then what's the point? You know? Yeah, agreed. And with that being said, we hope you had fun listening to this because yeah i had fun making it always thanks for listening we really appreciate it y'all are great um if yeah. you have any desire to share our our podcast with your friends or family please do we're on spotify we're also on patreon um if you're a patreon person um and you can always find links on our instagram or you can go to our anchor fm page uh, also there all right thanks ethan thank you dane